Today's scripture passage is found in Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13. A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. From the fruit of his mouth, a man eats what is good, but the desire of the treacherous is for violence. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. The righteous hates falsehood, but the wicked brings shame and disgrace. Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but sin overthrows the wicked. One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing, and another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. The ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but a poor man hears no threat. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. By insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Hope deferred makes the heart sick but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Good sense wins favor, but the way of the treacherous is their ruin. Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly. A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful envoy brings healing. Poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. A desire fulfilled is sweet to the soul, but to turn away from evil is an abomination to fools. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Disaster pursues sinners, but the righteous are rewarded with good. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. The fallow ground of the poor would yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. The righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the belly of the wicked suffers want. Thanks, Rachel. <clears throat> well, as Rachel just read for us there, we're continuing our study in the book of Proverbs together. And this morning, we're in Proverbs 13. And so if you're new with us, um, our, our normal pattern is to preach through books of the Bible, just working our way consecutively through, and, and that's what we've been doing now for about four months in the book of Proverbs. Um, but the book of Proverbs is pretty different than any other book that we've gone through together so far, especially the part of the book that we're in now. Um, the, the first nine chapters, if you remember, had more of a flow to them, kind of more like we're a little bit used to. Uh, those first nine chapters were basically one big, long introduction to the book. 
And they covered a few different topics, but overall the whole point of those first nine chapters was Solomon, who is the primary author of this book. Um, He's the king of Israel, and he had received supernatural wisdom from God. And he's laying out for his son the reality that life is a choice between two paths, between the path of wisdom and the path of folly. The path of wisdom leads to a life characterized by righteous desires, words, and actions, and it ends in eternal life. And the path of folly leads to a life characterized by sinful desires, words, and actions, and it ends in death. And his whole goal in those first nine chapters is to stir his son's heart to desire to choose the path of wisdom. And so by the time you get to chapter 10, where the actual Proverbs begin, if you've been tracking with Solomon and everything he's been saying to his son, like you should be saying at that point, like, yes, that's what I want. I want to live a life of wisdom. I want to follow that path. Tell me how to live that kind of life. And so then that's what the rest of the book is doing. It's getting really practical then um, through hundreds of these short, punchy statements called Proverbs about what the wise path and the foolish path look like in real life. So most of these statements are, are even contrasts. They're, they're, they're set up to where they, in just the way that they're worded, it's like the wise path looks like this, but the foolish path looks like this. So unlike the first nine chapters that have a fairly obvious flow to them then, when you're reading the rest of the book, as you could tell just in what Rachel was just reading, it, it can sound at first like just a bunch of random thoughts thrown together with no order to them at all then. Um, but there's a few things to keep in mind just as we continue to go through the book of Proverbs. Like One, this is how Solomon, who was the wisest person who ever lived, intentionally put this book together. Like, he could have organized everything differently than this, but he didn't. Two, this is how God, who is the ultimate author of Proverbs and the ultimate source of wisdom, intentionally put this book together. Like, he could have organized this book differently than he did, but he didn't. And so, one reason, then, that this book might be ordered the way that it is is because it fits with how we learn wisdom in normal, everyday life, right? Like, we don't learn wisdom, and, and remember, wisdom in the book of Proverbs, wisdom in general, is more than just knowledge. It's skill. It's the skill of living life, living life well in God's world, under God's authority. It, it's both knowing what's right and doing what's right. So we don't learn wisdom just by someone sitting us down and telling us everything we need to know about one topic and then moving on to the next one and telling us everything we need to know about that and then moving on to the next one. Like We learn wisdom over a lifetime of of getting little bits and pieces all mixed together, circling back around to different topics at different times, even having to hear the same truths repeated or given to us from slightly different angles or with slightly different wording so that over time they gradually have an impact on our understanding and on our lives. And so, and some things um, we, we learn immediately and they just click with us. Um, other things we have to think about and meditate on and, and they take a while to sink in. And so that's a lot of what these chapters of Proverbs feel like. You get, you get a little bit on this topic, you get a little bit on that topic, and then a couple chapters later you hear something that sounds really familiar and you go back and, and it's like, hey, I remember that from before. And, and some of the word pictures just immediately work for you and you get them, and other ones you have to really chew on them for a while and uh, for, the, for the nuances of them to really work themselves out in your mind and in your life. 
The other thing, though, about Proverbs being organized this way, though, is that the more you read through these chapters, the more you start to see how these sayings maybe aren't as random and disconnected as they seem at first reading. Like, you start to see connections between some of the sayings and topics that you wouldn't see if it were organized differently. Even even sayings about different topics end up working together and informing each other, and you end up learning something about each of them because those things are put next to each other the way that they are. And so the end result of all this is this book that you can really zoom in on a verse or two at a time and and spend time thinking about that, meditating on that, chewing on that, drawing things out of that. Or you can kind of zoom out on a longer section at a time. And, And the more you read it and the more you meditate on it, the more you see and the more you learn, which again is just that's how learning wisdom works. So the tricky part in all that is how to preach through these chapters um, because there is, there is just so much here. Um, and John, I know, has mentioned this, but there are, there are literally hundreds of these individual Proverbs. And so if we tried to just preach consecutively through every single one of them, we'd be in Proverbs for a really, really, really long time. And not that that would be all bad, um, but instead of doing that, um, what we decided to do is, is to take a chapter at a time and to um, hit the highlights of each chapter. And so each one of these chapters, each one of these sermons is going to be pretty different. Um, already we've had a couple of chapters that have pretty clear themes um, like words or money. Um, and then last week, John touched on five different themes in chapter 12 and kind of picked up on a few different things that were in that chapter. And so this week, man, there, there is so much we could get into again in this chapter. I was really tempted to do kind of like what John did last week and uh, hit on a bunch of them, but really kind of in the end decided to just focus in on one of the themes that's in this chapter again. And so in doing that, I know I'm leaving a whole lot out. There's a whole lot more in this chapter that's really good. And so I just encourage you, because <clears throat> this is just going to continue to be the case as we go through Proverbs. Like, there, there's just no way that we can cover everything in every chapter. And so, so maybe make at least part of your own personal time in the Word during the week, spending time in the next chapter of Proverbs. Um, so next week we'll be in Proverbs 14. So spend some time this next week reading through Proverbs 14. And so when you come next Sunday, you'll be familiar with that chapter that we're going to be preaching on and, and already being shaped by the wisdom in that chapter And then whatever we cover out of that, that'll be great. But then you can also talk with each other before or after the worship gathering or at DC or just throughout the week about the other things that you're learning as you're reading through the Proverbs beyond just whatever we're able to cover in the sermon. And so all that to say, out of all the things in chapter 13 that we could focus on, uh, when you read through this chapter, there's really one theme that I think stands out and that gets repeated throughout the chapter, kind of bookends the whole chapter and then it's woven all the way through. And it's this idea of listening to correction and wise teaching. So you see it right off the bat there in verse one, it says a wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Um, See it again in verse 10, by insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. Verse 13 says, whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. Verse 14, the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Uh, Verse 18, poverty and disgrace come up to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. 
Verse 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And then verse 24 is closely related, though it kind of comes at it from the opposite side. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So all through this chapter then, you have this idea of hearing instruction, listening to rebuke, taking advice, revering the commandment, the teaching of the wise, walking with the wise, heeding reproof, being disciplined. And, and you've got this contrast then in each of these between the person who listens on one hand and someone who does not listen on the other hand. And so just think about that for a minute. Like when was the last time someone tried to instruct you or correct you? The kids in the room, maybe your mom or dad corrected you for something you did. Um, maybe you, they were trying to help you avoid making a mistake and, and they were instructing you how to do something or how to handle a situation. Or, or maybe it was a teacher or, or a coach or someone like that giving you advice or correcting you on an assignment or on a project or correcting a mistake you made in practice. Um, adults, maybe it was a boss or a supervisor. Maybe it was your spouse Maybe it was a mentor in your life or someone who's discipling you. Uh, maybe it was another church member who saw something in your life that they felt like needed to be brought to your attention and corrected. So whatever, whatever the situation was, just think back to the time where that's happened to you and think about how did you respond? Like, did you receive it humbly and listen and learn, make adjustments based on the correction or instruction you received? Or did you get offended and angry like, did you get defensive and, and try to justify yourself? Like, no, I, I didn't do that. What are you talking about? You know, did, did, you, did you try to blame somebody else? Well, they did this. Um, did you turn things back on the person that was trying to correct you? Oh, yeah, well, you did that. Uh, maybe I should even ask, like, how did you respond externally and how did you respond internally? Because we can also be really good at saying the right things and looking like we're responding the right way on the outside, while on the inside there's a whole other conversation going on where we're telling that person just how wrong they are and how little they know and how unfair it is for them to be saying those things to you or treating you this way, right? Like, anybody ever responded to correction or instruction any of those ways? Uh, like, maybe even this week or, or yesterday or, or even this morning, um, may or may not have heard any of those excuses or anything in my house even this week. Um, here's the thing. Uh, a, a big part of what these verses in Proverbs 13 are doing is warning us about responding to correction or wise teaching in that way. What we see in Proverbs 13 is that it's the fool who doesn't listen to instruction or correction. And there are consequences in this life for rejecting instruction and there are eternal consequences as well. And so I, I know I have this down as the second point on your handout, but kind of decided last minute to actually switch those two around and talk about that first. And so what we see in Proverbs 13 is first, this is the second point on your handout there, that there are two results of listening to correction and wise teaching. Two results of listening to correction and wise teaching. So first, you can see this on your handout there, it keeps you from suffering the harm that comes to fools in this life. So that wording comes from the second part of verse 20 there. It talks about how the companion of fools will suffer harm. And so this is part of what Solomon's trying to protect his son from and calling him to the wise path and teaching him how to live a life of wisdom. It's that the folly of fools causes harm in this life. 
And you can see some specific examples of that in a couple of other verses in this chapter. So verse 5, for example, talks about the righteous hates falsehood, but the wicked brings shame and disgrace. So we've talked about this in other chapters, but because the foolish path leads to a life of wickedness, the wicked and the fool are interchangeable in Proverbs. And so, so wicked fools suffer shame and disgrace in this life. Like their foolish actions cause them shame and disgrace. You see some similar consequences in verse 18. It says, poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction. So, so here the fool is the one who ignores instruction. And one of the consequences, again, is that he, he brings disgrace on himself, the same word as before, but he also here suffers poverty as well. So because of his foolish actions, he suffers and struggles financially. Another consequence of not listening to instruction like a fool is in verse 10. It says, by insolence comes nothing but strife. So we'll talk about this more later, but insolence here, it's pride that won't listen to other people, especially to their criticism or correction or their thought of your thoughts or actions. And, and that's contrasted then in the second half of that verse with taking advice. So the point here is that this person thinks they know best and they refuse to take advice and the result is nothing but strife. Like they're always in the middle of one conflict or another. So folly brings shame, disgrace, poverty, conflict. And another consequence you can see in verse four says the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. And then verse 25 as well, the the righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the belly of the wicked suffers want. So the sluggard, who's the the lazy fool there in verse four, and then the wicked fool shows up again in verse 25, they, they both suffer by having their desires unfulfilled. Like their foolish actions leave them hungry and empty handed. And so the point in all that is that fools suffer harm in this life. If you go down the foolish path, you will suffer harm in these ways and more. But listening to correction and wise teaching keeps you from going down that path and and suffering the harm that comes to fools in this life. So that's the first result. Second, then, it turns you away from the snares of death. You see that in, in verse 14. That wording comes from that verse. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. So the point in that is that fools don't just suffer harm in this life. Like we've been seeing all the way through Proverbs so far, the foolish path ends in death. We see that all through this chapter as well. Verse three, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Verse nine, the light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. Light and lamp there refer to the light, the life of the wise person or the fool. The, the righteous there is the wise person and their light or their life, it says, rejoices. So that word there, one commentator said that it, it's this word picture and, and the, a good way to maybe translate it to help us see it is, is be that the light of the righteous burns merrily. It's like their life is like a crackling fire in the, in the fireplace on a cold winter evening. It's, it's this bright, happy picture of the life at the end of the wise path. But then in contrast with that, the wicked again, the wicked fool, their lamp or their life will be put out. The, their flame will be extinguished. 
It's this vivid way through this contrast and through these pictures to say that the foolish path ends in death. And so the point in all this is that not only does the foolish person suffer harm in this life, they ultimately end up trapped in the snares of death. Like the foolish path leads to death. But listening to correction and wise teaching turns you away from that path. And so in thinking through all that, you could maybe say that correction and wise teaching have two functions. So for those who are on the foolish path, Correction and wise teaching are are like a roadblock warning you to turn around, warning you to repent, to leave the foolish path and enter the wise path. It's like someone putting one of those big white and orange construction fences in the road. I don't know if you saw these even pulling in here this morning. It's like, yeah, that's perfect. They're right outside the hotel entrance. They're running a race or something out there and put out these big white and orange construction fences blocking the way so you don't go that way. And it's like, that's what construction... Uh, that's what uh, correction and wise teaching does for you. It's like putting out these big fences to block your path with like blinking lights on them and, and big signs saying, danger, wrong way, turn around. But the fool in these verses just ignores that fence, climbs over it, and just keeps on going. So, but that's one function of, of correction and wise teaching is, is to be a roadblock warning those on the foolish path to turn around and, and repent and enter the wise path. The other function of correction and wise teaching then would be for those on the wise path. And so for those that are on the wise path, correction and wise teaching functions kind of as guardrails all along the path. You know, maybe, maybe kind of like those nice picturesque log guardrails that you see along trails sometimes. Just, and, and so the goal of those guardrails is, is to mark out the path so you can clearly see where to go and to keep you from straying off the path Um, and and to redirect you if you start to drift. So in this case, correction and wise teaching keep you headed in the right direction. If you start to drift off the path or or try to take a wrong turn, they block your way and get you headed back in the right direction again. And so the wise person doesn't ignore the guardrails. They allow themselves to be corrected by them and change their course and get back on the path. And so can you see how in both cases then like we, we should be glad and thankful when we're corrected. Like correction and wise teaching are a key means that God uses to keep us on the wise path that ends in life and to guard us from the foolish path that ends in death. So we should be eager to listen to correction and wise teaching. It's just like we saw last week in chapter 12 verse 1. It says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But he who hates reproof is stupid. Like, if your heart has been stirred by this book to love wisdom and to long to walk that path, like, you won't be just grudgingly and grumblingly accepting discipline or correction when it comes. Like, you'll love it. You'll welcome it. You'll, you'll, you'll seek it out. You'll be eager for it. And you'll gladly listen and receive it when it comes. And so that's, that's what I want to exhort us to. That's what I think these verses here in Proverbs 13 are exhorting us to here this morning. And so I want to spend the rest of our time this morning just zooming in then on, on three different ways that Proverbs 13 applies this idea of listening to instruction and wise teaching and, and exhorts us. Um, and, and so I want to draw out three lessons or three exhortations for our lives related to listening to correction and wise teaching in light of what these verses here have to say. 
So you can see that first on your handout. Um, uh, go back up to that point now. Three exhortations uh, related to listening to correction and wise teaching. So the first one would be this. You can see this next there. Cultivate a humble and teachable heart. Cultivate a humble and teachable heart. So again, the main lesson in this chapter then, um, at least out of the verses that we're kind of highlighting this morning, is to listen to instruction and discipline. So verse one again, let's go back to that real quick. A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. So if you don't hear anything else from these verses that we're focusing on in Proverbs 13, like hear this, this is the main contrast. The wise person in verse one, the wise son hears his father's instruction, but the foolish person does not listen to rebuke. And so the first thing that we should take away from this uh, chapter and these verses we're focusing on here is to listen to instruction, to listen to correction and rebuke. But I wanna press into that just a little bit deeper and look at the clues that we're given in this verse and then in a couple other verses as to why the fool doesn't listen. So the first clue here is in the name that the foolish person is given there in verse one. It's called a scoffer. So we've come across this person before in Proverbs and we're gonna see him several more times later in the book. I I think the scoffer shows up around like 14 times in Proverbs. The scoffer is a person who's arrogant and looks down on others. He's convinced that he's got everything figured out. So he's so convinced that he mocks and makes fun of anyone who would try to correct or rebuke him. And so the focus on that title of scoffer there is really on his mocking of others and and mocking other opinions that would be different than his own. It's the person who tears down other people to build himself up. And so it's not surprising at all then that this person doesn't listen to rebuke. The, the, The end of verse one there could also be translated, he hears no rebuke. It's not just that he doesn't listen, it's that he doesn't even hear it. So the wise son listens, the scoffer or the self-confident mocker doesn't. Like that's the first clue to what's going on here. The second clue then comes in verse 10, which I mentioned earlier. Um, Look at that verse again. By insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. So like I said earlier, insolence here, it's pride, it's, it's overconfidence. It's someone who won't listen to other people because they already think that they know it all. They're not open to advice because they have no desire to change. And, and that's contrasted in this verse here with the wisdom of taking advice. And so you're starting to see a theme yet here between verse one and verse 10. You got the scoffer, who's the person who's arrogant, sure he's right, everyone else is below him, and so he doesn't listen. And then you've got the insolent or the proud person who knows it all and doesn't listen to advice or take advice. And then look at verse um, 13. It says, whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. So the word and the commandment here are, are at least parallel to the other words in this chapter for instruction and discipline and teaching of the wise that we see throughout the chapter. But they may also even go a little further than that and have God's word and God's commandment specifically in mind. And so if that's the case, the idea here is that the instruction of the father and the teaching of the wise carry authority to the extent that they reflect the word and the commandments of God. 
But then what we see here in this verse is this person who despises the word, it says. Despises there means to regard it as worthless and vile. Like, like they see themselves as above the word and above the commandment, and they look down on it as, as just worthless. So putting all that together then, what, what we see is that the foolish person's choice not to listen is rooted in a proud, arrogant, unteachable heart. And, oh, there's so much we could get into there. But let me just say this. Like, if your heart is proud, arrogant, and unteachable, it may be because you're on the foolish path that leads to death. And and if that's you, this passage is trying to put a roadblock in your way and warn you about the path that you're heading down. Don't ignore it. Like, don't just climb over it and, and keep going on your way. Like, heed that roadblock. Heed that warning sign. Turn around. Repent. Cry out to Jesus to forgive you and change your heart and transfer you to the wise path that leads to life. Like, unless you've turned from the foolish path and entered the wise path through Jesus, you can't do anything else that we're about to talk about. So if that's you, that's the call for you this morning. And you can do that right where you are. You can cry out to Jesus right where you are. You can pray to him and and ask him to forgive you. Ask him to rescue you from the foolish path that leads to death. Transfer you to the wise path that leads to life. And then I just encourage you, if that's you and and you're doing that this morning, just um, talk to somebody before you leave this morning. Love to talk to you some more about what it means to be a Christian, what it looks like to follow Jesus. Um, but, but if that's you, that's what you need to hear. That's how you need to respond. It's also possible, though, for you to be on the wise path that leads to life and still struggle with being proud and arrogant and unteachable. And so if that's you, then pay attention to these guardrails and let them correct you where you need to be corrected. Like the exhortation for us here is to guard against a proud, arrogant, unteachable heart that would cause us to not listen to rebuke or despise the word. Specifically, um, going back to the exhortation on your handout there, the call for us is to cultivate a humble, teachable heart. Like if a proud, unteachable heart causes the fool to not listen, then we want to cultivate the opposite in our hearts. And so again, we could get into a lot here as well, but let me just give you a couple of ideas of how you can practically do that. And so these are things that have been helpful for me in the battle against pride. This is something that I, uh, even just especially over the last couple of years, have been really having to focus in on and battle in my own heart. And so here's a couple of lessons just of how I practically try to fight against pride in my own heart. Number one would just be to memorize and meditate on some verses that directly address the sin of pride Um, There's some right here in Proverbs 13 that might be a great place to start. There's also a bunch of of really good ones other places in Proverbs as well, like Proverbs 16, 5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Like if that doesn't stop you in your tracks, um, yeah, meditate on that one for a little while and it'll it'll begin to humble you. Um, Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Proverbs 8, 13. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. 
Or then you could go to some other books too, Matthew, Matthew 23, 12. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Or 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Or, or a whole bunch of other verses. And so the goal here in this is not just to memorize these verses so that you can rattle off these words without even thinking about it. The goal is to meditate on these verses, to chew on them, let them sink into your heart and shape your heart. And so in one sense, if memorizing is hard for you, maybe don't worry about that part. Like just write some of these verses down, carry them around with you, read over them regularly and think about these truths. Like if you, if you take a few minutes a day to do that, you'll see your heart begin to be humbled in some really incredible ways. At the same time though, and this kind of leads into the other idea for cultivating humility and teachability, like even if memorization is difficult for you, that's part of the value in doing it, honestly. Because the other suggestion that I would give you is, is to pursue subversive habits. Pursue some subversive habits. I, I get that title from a series of articles written by Trevin Wax. Um, subversive habits are, are these habits that you build in your life to specifically target and attack sin issues that you're struggling with. So going back to the idea of memorizing scripture, beyond just the benefit of filling your mind and heart with truth, memorizing scripture can be a subversive habit because it's disciplining you to do something hard and uncomfortable in a way that humbles you and reminds you that you're not as smart as you think you are. Other ones for me are, are diet, exercise, and going to bed on time. And I know those all sound very unspiritual, um, but as much as I need to do those things for the physical health benefits, sometimes the most spiritual thing that I can do is to go to bed. Um, and, and each of those things have been incredibly helpful in battling pride in my heart. Like saying no to certain foods at certain times directly attacks the pride in my heart that wants what I want right now. Exercising and pushing my body past what's comfortable is directly attacking my pride and reminding me of my weakness and my neediness. Going to bed on time attacks my pride that wants to believe that I'm limitless and I can just keep on going. And so I find for me that an increased struggle with pride in my heart can often be closely connected to how I'm doing with my diet, exercise, and going to bed on time. And so th those are just a couple of suggestions. There are many more ways you could go about this, but however you do it, the exhortation from Proverbs 13 first is to cultivate a humble, teachable heart so that you'll listen to correction and wise teaching. Second, the second exhortation then is to surround yourself with wise teachers and companions. Um, comes from verses 14 and 20. Again, verse 14 says, the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Like the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life and it protects you from the snares of death. Like, I mean, give me as much as possible of that, right? I mean, verse 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So the point there then is who you hang around shapes you, either for good or for bad. Like, if you wanna know who you're gonna be in five years, look at who you're hanging out with today. So if you wanna become wise you need to surround yourself with wise people. Here in verse 20, it talks specifically about companions, which would bring to mind peers and friends that are, that are more alongside of us. But we've also seen in this chapter how there are a lot, there's a lot of focus specifically on parents. 
And so I don't think it's too much of a stretch to broaden that to both physical parents and spiritual parents, like people who are in some sense kind of above you or ahead of you. Like you need both kinds of wise people in your life. So, so think about that for a second. Who are you walking with? And who do you need to start walking with? So first and foremost, who, who are the actual people in your life that you're, that you're spending time with and surrounding yourself with? Like who are you physically spending time with, talking with, sharing your joys, sharing your struggles with? Like, are they people that are a good influence on you? Are they people who know you well enough to, and, and who are bold enough even to correct you when you're drifting on the path of wisdom? Like, like you can't help, if you're familiar with the book Pilgrim's Progress, you can't help but picture the companions and the teachers that walked alongside of Christian in Pilgrim's Progress as he journeyed to the celestial city. Like, that's what we all need and so this is probably one that a lot of guys in the room especially need to be challenged with. Like men, we need friends. We need to pursue each other and spend time with each other and be open and vulnerable with each other. And, and so I know for a lot of us, um, there's this picture of what it means to be a man that makes us believe that we don't need that, that, that we're good on our own, that we can, we can get by by ourselves. But that falls under the, the pride thing we just talked about in the last point. Like another way that you can cultivate a humble, teachable heart is to pursue friendship with some other men. And so guys, especially in this room, we would encourage you, if, if that's not something you're doing, find some guys that you can spend some time with and get to know and, and hold each other accountable, walk alongside of each other, shape each other um, in the way of wisdom. Married couples, let me say this to you. Um, like, yes. You are each other's best friends. Like your spouse will have a role in your life that no one else can or should ever have. Like they'll likely be the biggest influence in your life. At the same time, your spouse cannot carry the weight of everything that you need relationally. It's not fair for you to put that burden on them. As husbands and wives, like you need to help your spouse pursue some other wise friends especially if you have kids. Like that might mean that you need to give them permission to schedule some times where they can go hang out with some other people while you stay home and take care of the kids. The, the, the point is that you, you each need to be surrounded with wise friends who will help you grow in wisdom. And so help each other pursue that. Beyond actual people, um, there are other ways you can surround yourselves with wise, wise teachers and companions as well. And you may not think about this as much, but, but there's other ways that you can do this and, and probably are doing it more than you even know. Books, for one, let us learn from wise teachers and companions that are both alive now and even from decades and centuries past. Beyond that, like you have to be careful and intentional here, but you can also find wise teachers and companions in podcasts, music, even on social media, I know that's, yeah, you got to be really careful um, and, and be really intentional. But um, yeah, other places like that, you can also find a whole lot of foolish companions as well if you're not careful. So, so examine closely who you're allowing to walk with you through those different means. That's the, that's the second exhortation there. Desire to listen to correction and wise teaching should lead us to surround ourselves with wise teachers and companions who will walk alongside of us on the path to wisdom. Third, then, you can see this next on your handout, this call to listen to correction and wise teaching should exhort us to seek to be an instrument of correction and wise teaching for others. So I went back and forth on what to include in this point. Um, the, the reason that I worded it the way that I did is because I was going to cover verse 24, which we'll get to in just a second. 
but I was also going to connect back to the point that we just talked about and talk about how one of the goals in walking with the wise and becoming wise is that then you can become the wise teachers and companions for others. And I was going to encourage you all to do that for each other. And that's really important. And I'd love to spend some time on that. But for time's sake, I'm just going to throw that idea out there and move on. But I would encourage you to think through that idea yourself or talk through that in your DCs. Um, that idea of how you can encourage and be an instrument of correction and wise teaching for others um, just in relationships with each other. But not going to get into that any more than that. So since I'm not going to, I probably should have just worded that point, discipline your kids. <laughs> That's what verse 24 says. Um, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is dis- diligent to discipline him. And oh man, like there's, there's so much we could get into with this. Like we could have easily spent our entire time this morning on this one verse. Um, but there are other Proverbs that we will get to um, that come back to this idea. So I'm not gonna try to say everything that could be said on this topic, but I wanna at least just draw out a few implications from this verse in connection with the other things we've looked at this morning. And so first, before we specifically dig into verse 24, just back up real quick. I wanna, want you to see two quick things in verse one that add some meaningful depth here to verse 24. And so Back to verse one again. The first line of verse one in the ESV says, a wise son hears his father's instruction. But the ESV actually adds in those words, hears his, to smooth out this verse for us. Like that is what the point of the verse is, as we've already talked about. But the original literally just says, a wise son, a father's instruction. And so it's these two statements that are just paralleled with each other to basically say that this one equals this one or that this one is even the result of this one. And so if, if you take it that way, it's basically saying that a wise son is a father's instruction or, or even that the wise son is the result of a father's instruction. The other thing there is to notice that that word instruction there, it's actually the same word that's translated as discipline in verse 24. Not really sure why they chose to translate it one way in verse one and the other way in verse 24. But the the point is, if you see a wise son, what, what verse one is saying there is, if you see a wise son, you can know that it's because his father instructed him or in light of verse 24, because his father disciplined him. So the point in verse one is that the wise son listens to his father's discipline But in connection to verse 24, you can also see how the father's discipline shaped the son to be a wise son who listens to instruction in the first place. And so in light of everything else we've seen this morning, you can see then how critical discipline is in shaping a heart that will listen to instruction because of how life-altering the consequence of listening to instruction are. It's the two results we talked about earlier. Listening to correction and wise teaching keeps you from suffering harm in this life and turns you away from the snares of death. So if that's what's at stake in disciplining your kids, you can see why verse 24 says what it does. Like if that's what's at stake, to spare the rod, to not discipline your kids is like hatred because it is eternally harmful to them. So parents, first thing I wanna say to you based on this verse is, don't give up. Like, be encouraged that disciplining your kids matters, that disciplining your kids is worth it. Like, I know that disciplining your kids can be exhausting. Like, it can feel like you have corrected the same behavior 
a thousand times and you don't see any change at all. And so it gets to a point where, man, it's just easier to let it go this time. But in light of verse 24, that's not loving your child. That's loving yourself. Like if you love your child, you will discipline them because you know that they're headed down the foolish path that leads to death. And so like we've talked about before, the Proverbs are not guarantees. They're, they're general principles. And, and like we talked about earlier, ultimately what your child needs is for God to transform their heart and to transfer them from the foolish path to the wise path. And so this is not, don't, don't make too much of what is being said here. But at the same time, in God's wisdom, one of the means that he uses to turn us away from the snares of death is the discipline of our parents. And so be encouraged, parents, to not give up. Like behind a wise child who listens to instruction is a parent who loved them and disciplined them. That's the first thing to take out of that verse there. Two other quick lessons when it comes to disciplining our kids from verse 24 as well. And in light of talking about this topic, let me just touch on two ways that we can fail in disciplining our kids. One way to fail in disciplining your kids is to discipline out of anger instead of out of love. And so you can just see that in the way that that verse is worded. To, to spare the rod is hatred because of the consequences of not disciplining our kids, but there's no place for abuse either. Discipline will not lead to wise children who listen to instruction if our discipline is done out of anger instead of out of love. Like your kids can tell the difference. In his book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, Ted Tripp says, the primary reason spanking can be ineffective is spanking in anger. Children will not willingly submit themselves to the authority of an angry, out-of-control parent. There is an, an innate sense of justice in a child. They will inwardly resist submitting their hearts to a parent who bullies them. They may cower. They may even respond to the punishment out of fear, but they will not willingly place themselves under the authority of a parent who disciplines in unholy anger. So the way to guard against disciplining out of anger then is to remember that the reason you're disciplining is never because your kids have gone against your will. That's the easiest way to ultimately end up to discipline and anger is because you're mad that they broke your rules and went against you. Instead, we discipline because you want to turn them away from the snares of death. Like if that's what's on the front of your mind, it'll help you to discipline out of love instead of out of anger. So that's the first way we can fail to discipline our kids. Second way to fail to discipline your kids that you see in verse 24 is to not be diligent in disciplining them. That phrase could also be translated, you can, if you got an ESV there, you can see this in the footnote, it could also be translated, disciplines them early. So there could be a couple different ways you could take this. One would be to not wait too long to start disciplining your kids. Like the earlier you start and establish boundaries through discipline, hopefully the less you'll need to discipline later on. But it also implies being consistent in your discipline. So start early and be consistent. Like if you're inconsistent, your kids will never know when, when they can get away with something or not, which likely then will mean that they'll just keep trying, which will frustrate you. And then when you decide to finally crack down because you've had enough, it'll frustrate them. So instead, verse 24 implies that if you love your kids, you'll be diligent to discipline them by starting early and disciplining them consistently. And so again, all of this then flows out of these exhortations in this chapter to listen to correction and wise teaching. Like that, that's the motivation and the goal in disciplining your kids. 
That's the motivation and the goal in surrounding yourself with wise teachers and companions. And that's the motivation and the goal in cultivating a humble and teachable heart. Because listening to correction and wise teaching is a key means that God uses to keep us on the wise path that ends in life, to guard us from the foolish path that ends in death. Like that's ultimately why we listen to correction and wise teaching because ultimately it all comes from the hand of our wise father. It's all part of his discipline that he's using to produce holiness and righteousness in us. The writer of Hebrews talks about this in Hebrews chapter 12, and he's actually, he actually quotes from Proverbs 3. Um, there's some verses we looked at in Proverbs 3 that are quoted in Hebrews 12, and, and the, the writer of Hebrews says this, starting in verse 5, he says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That's good. Um, and that's exactly what we're talking about here. The, that's why we listen to correction and wise teaching because it all ultimately comes from the hand of our wise father. And, and the reason that we can be treated as sons by this wise father is because of the ultimate wise son who listened and obeyed in our place. Earlier in Hebrews chapter five, it says, although he was a son, speaking of Jesus, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So because Jesus perfectly listened and obeyed in our place, we can be forgiven for our foolish refusal to listen. And our proud, arrogant, unteachable hearts can be transformed. Like through Jesus, we're adopted as sons so that we can be treated as sons, being disciplined by our loving father so that we will then walk the wise path that leads to life and turn away from the foolish path that leads to death. And then because our hearts have been transformed, we're now eager to listen to correction and wise teaching. And so then that leads us to then cultivate humble, teachable hearts to surround ourselves with wise teachers and companions and to seek to be instruments of correction and wise teaching for others. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are our wise father, that we can come to you as fathers, even in our prayers. We're reminded as we, as we use that term for you, just of who you are in relation to us, that, that we have been adopted as sons because your son came and, and lived the life that we failed to live, where we refused to listen, where we were proud and arrogant and unteachable and rejected your authority. He came and listened and obeyed. And, and through his obedience, um, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. 
And so, Father, we come to you then as those who have been forgiven through his work, as those who have been adopted then as your sons alongside of Jesus, our brother. Um, And Lord, we thank you that you discipline us as sons, that you correct us, that you um, teach us wisdom. And you do it through all these different means. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us hearts that are eager to hear your teaching and correction. Father, give us hearts that are, that are eager to um, listen. Father, work in our hearts to, to um, just kill, put to death pride and arrogance and, un, and, and just this unteachable spirit that would cause us to not listen, Father. But I pray that instead that you would, because you have transformed our hearts, that you would um, just cultivate in us humility and teachability Lord, help us to grow in that. Help us to desire to grow in that. Help us to to take steps, just practical, active steps in in pursuing that. God, I pray as well that we would just pursue wise teachers and companions in this life, that we would seek to surround ourselves with wise voices that can speak into our lives, that that would know us well enough and be bold enough to correct us when we begin to go off the path. Um, and, And Father, that we would, that we would avoid surrounding ourselves with fools that would, that would shape us in the opposite direction. Lord, help us to, to seek those kinds of people out, to seek out those kinds of voices just through other means as well, to surround ourselves with wise friends so that we can become wise. And then, Father, I pray that we would be people who, who would be um, instruments of correction and, and wise teaching for others, primarily just in this passage with our kids as parents. Father, I pray that we would grow just in, in disciplining our kids in a way that would be consistent with the gospel and with the way that you discipline us. God, I pray that we'd be consistent in our discipline. I pray that we would discipline out of love, that our heart would first and foremost be to warn them away from the and guard them against the path of folly that leads to death. Um, putting all of our hope and trust, Father, in your your work to change their hearts and, and to draw them to yourself, um, but just to be um, just instruments that you can use toward that end. And then also just in our relationships with each other, Father, use us as wise voices for each other. Lord, help us just to, as we continue to walk through the Proverbs, like these are hard. This is, it's hard to read through these kind of chapters and know what to even draw out and what to focus on. Lord, I pray that this word is something that we needed to hear today, that it would bear fruit in our hearts, that it would be part of your correction and part of your discipline of us that would cause us to, to grow in holiness and grow in righteousness. God, we know that you're a good father, that you're, you're at work for good things in our lives and pray that, that this would be part of what you're doing um, in our church and in each of our hearts this morning um, is by using this word, give us ears to listen and, and to obey. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.